It's uh, Dorothy Polarski here, and uh, I wanted to welcome each and every one of you who are signing on to join us for this remarkable, inspiring, uh, wonderful afternoon. Uh, some of you may have met me at the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. Um, some of you may have read my column in the Catholic Register. Uh, some of you may have read my book, Motherhood Matters, or some of you might attend one of our mother's groups from catholicmomsgroup.com. So again, um, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I would like to welcome you. I'd like to welcome each and every one of you. Um, and you know, why, do we, why are we hosting these sessions? Okay, we're hosting these sessions uh, primarily because um, we usually have face-to-face -face virtual, not face-to-face -face virtual mother's groups, but we usually have uh, mother's groups in uh, parishes and our ministry has helped start over 40 different mother's groups. Um, but because of COVID, we can't have those mother's groups. And so we wanted to be here for you. We wanted to, um, you know, support moms. Cause I think right now being a mom, it's probably one of the hardest times, right? Because we don't have all of the normal supports. I see that some of you are saying hello, and I do welcome you. Uh, and I would ask that you do say hello to us in the chat box. Uh, so Vesna is saying hello. Oh, she's reminding me of something, which is good. Vesna, thank you that today is the memorial of... Um, our Lady of Mount Carmel. So <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I would have done that, but uh, I'm really glad that you're both. Oh, Mo Moira McQueen is here. Hi, Moira, great to uh, see you. Actually, uh, it's Dr. McQueen, and Dr. McQueen is gonna be joining us next week. Um, so just super that you're here. Uh, I do ask you to say hello, okay? Uh, I want to know, Kara uh, is here. Kara, where are you from? Let us know where you're from. Um, are any of our mother's group leaders here? You know, please say hello in the chat. Um, again, I do want to take a few minutes to, to share a little bit about our ministry. So in just a little minute, in, in just a little minute, <laughs> <laughs> in just a minute, a minute, I'm going to share a couple of uh, slides, so don't be surprised if we disappear for a second. But I did want to share a little bit of information about our ministry. So we have a uh, ministry, and it's catholicmomsgroup.com. I would ask that you, you know, that you look us up on Facebook, that you look us up on Instagram, that you visit our website. And we are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. Um, so many moms right now are treating motherhood as if it's just kind of like a series of tasks. And we want to remind mothers that actually your role as a mother is a sacred role. And there's so much more to it than just doing the laundry and feeding our families, that there's a much deeper and a much more profound responsibility that we have. Um, and our ministry also has a, an annual conference. And because so many women say to me, all you ever do is focus on moms. Why don't you do something for women? <laughs> I'm like, 
Okay, so we call our conference Dynamic Women of Faith. So I can say to women, I am doing something for women. So, um, and so how do we revive the vocation of motherhood? We do it primarily through starting Catholic mothers groups. Um, I found that my life changed dramatically being part of a Catholic moms group um, because I used to think that my mother was the only sort of crazy Catholic mom that was so passionate about passing down the faith. And in our North American culture right now, if you go to work or if you're in school or if you go to the shopping mall or the baseball diamond, chances are you're not gonna, you might not meet a practicing Catholic mom. And uh, it is our strong conviction that, that when one mother encounters another mother that takes her faith seriously, that it has a profound effect on the both of them. Um, and, and, you know, we just think of our Blessed Mother uh, traveling 28 kilometers to visit Elizabeth. And when they come together, some, some supernatural joy occurs. And so we have helped parishes right across Canada and in a couple of the different states, primarily in our own Archdiocese of Toronto in starting uh, mothers groups. And uh, I'm so thrilled today to have Teresa here uh, because you'll, we have a lot more in common than I, I realized. So uh, how, do, how else do we help um, uh, mothers start mothers groups? Well, we have a publication and if you visit our website, you'll actually see that we have a publication called How to Start a Mother's Group. Everything that you need to start a mother's group is in that publication. Um, we have the, the program now every Thursday, Midday Moms. We have a full day workshop on how to start a mother's group. We host the annual conference. We now have a 52 week study guide. Um, and we have a mother's group starter kit. So um, I just wanna show you a little bit about that kit. And if you go to our website, you can actually see it, that in that kit, you have everything that you need um, to run a mother's group for more than a year. And I always say that running a mother's group, it's not rocket science, okay? It's not rocket science, but it's very, very time consuming. And sure, you know, you could create your own brochures, you could create your own posters, you could create your own study guide, you could create your own uh, invitations, but that all takes time. And we realize that mothers today are busier than they've ever been in the entire life, in history. We're, we're busier now than we've ever been. So we have a, a remarkable mother's group starter kit that's 100% Catholic content. And, um, you know, the publication, How to Start a Mother's Group, comes in as a part of that kit, as does the 52-week study guide, as do DVDs and posters. And, and uh, you know, it drives me crazy when Catholic women are buying um, the mops the mom starter kit it drives me nuts and it drives me nuts when catholic mothers are going to a protestant mother's group i'm like We're, we have so much in the catholic church why are we going to protestant mother's groups why are our friends our children making friends with protestant children and i've seen moms actually you know 
lose their faith. And so God put it on my heart to help moms. We're here to help you. Um, you know, the only way that we've been able to do this is because we're faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto. Without the Archdiocese of Toronto, we wouldn't exist, okay? So I uh, am very, very grateful to Cardinal Collins and, and his support. Now, I know I'm going on and on. I'm gonna stop going on and on. And um, I wanted to introduce Teresa. <laughs> I thought I lost you, Teresa. Um, but before I, I introduce Teresa, I just wanted to say hello to the, uh, so Claude, thank you for joining us. Patricia, thank you for joining us. Um, Kara, thank you for joining us. Anna, all of you, a big, big, big warm welcome. Finally, I want to introduce you um, to Teresa. Oh, and before we do, we should just start with a short prayer. Okay, so let's just pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, dear Jesus, we know that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, that you are present. We acknowledge your presence. We rejoice in your presence. And we thank you for the gift of Teresa. And we pray three Hail Marys. Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Teresa. Teresa is a mother of nine. She's been homeschooling for 25 years, and she's a remarkable inspiring woman. Teresa, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay, thanks, Dorothy. First of all, I want to really thank you for having me and thanking you for putting together this amazing program for Catholic moms. I have to imagine that you have spent many, many nights and days away from your own family or uh, not pursuing hobbies just so that you could help moms like us have the tools that we need and not feel alone. So I 100% support what you're doing. I think it's beautiful. And I hope that those that are here will take advantage of the offerings that you make. Because really, you're, you're not in it for yourself. You're in it for the glory of God and better, <laughs> building better families and helping that mom who needs some support. So. No, um, thank you. Thank you very uh, much, Teresa. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of myself just so you know me better. Um, I'm 57 years old. Um, I met my husband, David, when we were teenagers. I was 14. And he was 17. Oh, you were 14? I was. You were 14? I was. I was. He was my first date. He asked my dad if he could take me out. And my dad said, um, not till she's older. <laughs> so he thought I was more his age. Um, but he was my first date. We went to an Elkhart County Fair. Um, we were so young and we recognized we were young. So we did, we did split for a little bit. He went to public school. I went to the Catholic school. He went to the state university. I went to Catholic small women's Catholic college. 
but um, but eventually we made our way back to each other, and he was always the litmus test for any other young man that I went out with. I kept thinking, you know, they're not as chivalrous, they're not as fun, they're not as uh, good, they're not, and I, I just, I kept thinking, I just kept coming back to him. So we were married when um, I was 23 and he was 25, and we welcomed our first son. My, our first uh, pregnancy ended in a miscarriage, so I'm sure there's, um, moms out there who have gone through that. We've actually had five, uh, but the first pregnancy ended on a miscarriage. On you Christmas. had five miscarriages? I did, yes. Oh, wow. Um, We're going to have to have another meeting about that. <laughs> well, you know, I was young, 23, and we were thinking, um, you know, you kind of have this expectation of your life in front of you, what it's going to be like. And I got pregnant right away, and we miscarried on Christmas Day, our very first Christmas together. And so it just, it shattered my whole um like rose-colored glasses, I guess, that I just, I, I was young and naive, and it was a real struggle, and that's when I realized, you know, this faith is going to be something I'm going to have to choose, and it's not going to be easy, and I'm not going to escape from some of the deepest pains in life, so, um, so anyway, uh, uh, we, yeah, so then we went on to have um, six daughters and three sons, um, <laughs> And so they are range, range in age right now from 32 to 15. And you mentioned homeschooling. We did homeschool. I homeschool until high school, and then we send them to Catholic school. So there's a nice hybrid that works out for us. I believe that any mother that wants to homeschool can, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think everyone should universally. I think we all have to uh, discern in our own family. And that's going to be a theme, I think, in just what I have to offer, just my own opinion, is that we have to discern our own fair family's charism and make good decisions for the circumstances in our life and that God will help us through that, whether it's through homeschooling um, or charter schools or parochial schools or whatever. I, you just, you've blown me away, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I met Teresa on Facebook and we've been friends on Facebook for a long time and it was just like yesterday I, I met her personally having you know some zoom time and you know yesterday she told me that she was in her own family the eldest of 13 children so her mom had 13 kids now was it your mother or dad that are Polish I forget we're both Polish both of your parents are Polish. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm a purebred. <laughs> I'm a purebred too. I was actually born in Poland, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't brag, but I often like one of my greatest gifts is being born on the same day as Saint John Paul the Great. And I sent him a uh, birthday card, and he responded. And I've had a, a couple of very profound dreams with our Holy Father. But anyway, um, no, you, you blew me away because, you know, five miscarriages, your first child a miscarriage, uh, going on to have nine children. Um, this is the one thing I love about these Catholic women that I meet is that there, nothing stops them, right? <laughs> and the power and glory of God just shining through you and all the work 
that you do. Um, I, I really want each of you here to become friends with Teresa on Facebook. Um, please, uh, we're going to list her uh, Facebook contact. Oh, there it is. It's already listed. So please do uh, become friends. She will inspire you more than you'll ever, ever, ever know. Sure so today we're here to talk about homemaking and homeschooling. And I want to sort of start off with homemaking. What do you think are the most important elements of homemaking? What are some of the most important elements? Well, um, first I want to start off by like just giving, um, just giving some love, like a virtual hug and encouragement to all moms that are here that are making a home for their families because this is truly the most important job in this world. Um, we've all read many quotes about the importance of mothers, but I want every mom here to realize that her impact in the world is greater in the home, even if she has a successful career outside the home, even if she works part-time, even if she has an amazing hobby that impacts others in a, in a strong way or volunteers, but that impact in the home, you're creating um, the life for a soul, you're nourishing a mind, a body, a spirit, and it someone destined for eternal life and someone who's going to go beyond these years and make an impact then in turn on his or her own family. So um, with that in mind, I really want that to be the backdrop of our discussion because if we think about it that way, then I think maybe we won't become so discouraged all the time at the little setbacks we have because let's face it, we live in a fallen world. There's going to be suffering. There's redemption through suffering when we unite our suffering with Jesus on the cross, but we shouldn't go through, like I mentioned at the beginning, I was so young and naive when we had our first miscarriage. My life had just been so happy up till then. And I grew up in a loving family and I had a good mom and I had a great childhood. And, and then boom, with that first bit of suffering, um, you know, it really shook me to my core. So um, against that backdrop, I just want to say, Hey moms, you know, Try your best. Yes, I am 100% for trying your best. Give it all you got. But have a little mercy on yourself, too, because we're, we're all um, imperfect, trying our best. So let's get back to the, the question about what makes good homemaking. Um, <laughs> one of the most important things, in my, in my view, is to discern what is the charism of your family. We all see these families. Some families are really good at hospitality and some of them have are very quiet and pensive and you know maybe the um you know there's a some sort of charism in that regard of spirituality so embrace the uniqueness of your own family and try to build your rhythm of life around that um some of your husbands work evening hours some of them are maybe um works you know third shifts or second shifts or maybe one's a doctor that has to be on call or you know maybe you do have a, a husband that has nine to five hours um i think i find that a lot of times it's so ironic that right at the time when the family needs the husband the most around like the wife it's so busy is the time that he's building his career and trying to take care of the family and so that's that's really a challenge but um i just think one of the first things about homemaking is to recognize your charism and recognize you know the rhythm of your own family and try to build around that what kind of rhythm do you want to have um it's very anti-cultural to do simple things that our grandmothers did like have an evening meal nightly 
Um, I'm a big fan of uh, a lovely table setting. Not that, that doesn't mean expensive. That means I love to put up tablecloths, pretty dishes. You can find those at Goodwill if you're um, strapped for cash, as a lot of young moms often are. Um, I love cloth napkins. Not only do they make a table elegant, but they also are um, cost-effective. You just throw them in the washing machine and they absorb really well. Um, so those are the kinds of, those are the kinds of things, sitting down together at the table, making a commitment, even if your husband gets home at eight o'clock at night, if you could just sit down together as a family and talk about your day. I asked my girls before I came on today, you know, what were some of the things that, that you feel like we did right as a family? Like what, what are the kinds of things? And immediately one of my daughters said, we ate dinner every night together and you guys listened to what we said when we talked about our day. So I would say that's the first thing. I mean, I could just keep going on, but Dorothy, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, again, I, I loved, uh, maybe you're going to plan a little bit to, to talk about it a little bit later, but I loved the story um, that you shared with me yesterday about uh, shopping for a beautiful chandelier. And, you know, uh, yeah. could you tell me a little bit more? Could you share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so, um... Keeping in mind that um, that dinner builds relationship because you've got the family all around the table. Excuse me a second, I'm gonna cough. <laughs> um, I wanted every, every interaction together to be one that was um, uplifting and, and relationship building. So finally, after all these years, um, we decided to remodel our kitchen last fall. And it kind of went into, as any project does when you start to remodel, kind of goes into ancillary rooms here and there. I mean, you got to cut it off somewhere. But one of the things that I asked my husband for is I said, can we do a couple things in the dining room? So we moved all of our eating. Instead of eating all in the kitchen, I moved the main area of eating into the dining room. And I put up pictures of our ancestors, of their great grandparents. Um, my father-in-law fought in World War II. And, you know, there's stories um, about all of the grandparents and great grandparents. And I, I kind of splurged on a chandelier. And my husband was like, you know, normally, if you look at all the Pinterest um, pages, they tell you, you know, make sure that you have, you know, similar, um, you know, similar things throughout the whole house. So there's cohesion or whatever. And I'm just, I'm a pretty simple person. We live out in the country on 10 acres. So like our family room has like, barn pictures, things like that, but I wanted a nice chandelier. And I wanted it for this reason. I want that room, when we walk into it, my kids who are scattered across the country, I've got some on the West Coast, I've got one on the East Coast, I had one in Argentina until this pandemic came, now he's back in the States. Um, I wanted them to know that I valued them and that it said home, family, and you are special when you walked into that room. And so we say it with the chandelier, with the tablecloth, we say it with the pictures on the wall, and we've got our old photo albums very accessible. And one of our favorite things to do, I just place them out when the kids come home and we just go through them. And we were also talking about this, Dorothy, uh, the other day. Uh, every family has great stories, and you just have to dig around to find them. So I, we love talking about how, you know, um, my great or my great grand my grandmother-in-law my husband's grandmother came over from lebanon and married when she was 17 
her husband died uh, a year later when she was 18. And she went back to Lebanon and she had, they had had a baby by that time. And the family wanted to keep the child and let her go back to the United States and start a new life. And she said no. So one of the favorite stories is this 18 year old widow with a brand new baby traveling over the water, you know, to, to be strong and begin her new life and start this life with she and her child. She ended up getting remarried. Um, but anyway, every family has these stories and that's the glue that bonds us together. And I just encourage, in fact, I've written a few articles um, on integrated Catholic life. One of them is the value of family storytelling, because it's really important to keep our families together, to be connected through these family stories. And, you know, one thing that's very, very touching to me is, um, you know, when you talk about the, the chandelier and you talk about the stories and you talk about um, having a dignified eating experience, um, it... I couldn't help but think of my own mother. Uh, I remember growing up, we had a, in our dining room, a beautiful, beautiful chandelier. And um, my mother kept a, a, a remarkably beautiful house. And, um, you know, it wasn't unusual for us to have a, a white tablecloth made out of linen from Poland. And it wasn't unusual for us to have, you know, my mom had a home cooked meal every single day till her dying day, I think, you know, at six o'clock. And I remember growing up, I used to, I, I grew up thinking that we were rich, okay? Because we had, you know, the chandelier, we had beautiful china, uh, everything in the house was, it was just, it was in my mind, it was just beautiful. And I would, I would go to other people's houses and it just kind of, like I'd go and I'm like, oh, I wish they could come to see, come to my house to see what a home is supposed to look like. Um, and, you know, what, what makes it remarkable is that my father was a factory worker. <laughs> and, um, you know, my mom, she worked a couple of, you know, months during the time that I can remember. At times she was cleaning banks at night so she could still be with us during the day. Mm -hmm. And one time she wanted to make sure that we could afford to take me to Poland on a trip that they were going on. So she went to the work at the factory for, you know, two months to make enough money so that I could go on this trip, right? right. Um, I had no idea that we were actually struggling financially, but my mother and father knew how to live within means and create beauty despite like not, we weren't, it wasn't financial poverty, but you know, like she would shop at the bargain house in order to find the tablecloth. And, and so I want to stress to all of you, and I, I really love that point that you made that creating a home, a, creating a home from a house, uh, it requires your heart more than it requires a big budget, I think, right? Um, so what are some other elements of the create, uh, a home from a house you know we all buy a house or get a house or have a little apartment that is our house how do we transform it into a home great question so I want to touch upon two things one that you brought up um, one is cooking um, a lot of people are triggered if that's the right word by great memories just by smelling uh, home. Um, I would imagine that most of the ladies who are watching, and maybe you too, have seen the Disney movie Ratatouille, and how the uh, uh, 
how the individual who was writing a review, the reviewer, was taken back to his childhood just by the smell of ratatouille. And, you know, certain smells are universally wonderful. Um, you know, everybody loves the smell of onions cooking. I always joke that, like, if, my, if I see my husband, we have a really long driveway. It takes about two minutes for him to drive up. If I see him turning in early, and I love, I try very hard to have food ready when he comes home, you know, just because I want to do that for him. I want him to come home and just feel like it's an oasis and to feel like, ah, oh, you know, and most of the time I know when he's coming home, but if I see him turn that corner and I didn't know he was going to be home, I always put an onion on. I always start <laughs> right so at least I got, and I got a few minutes then. Ooh, smells good. What's for dinner? It's a surprise. So that's the kind of thing, um, you know, so cooking is, and it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be, you know, gourmet, especially when the kids are little, Hey, look, I did plenty of paper plates when I had, uh, you know, six kids under a certain age. There's a time and a season for that. There's nothing wrong with that. You do not have to um, go for uh, complicated when the kids are little. Um, but cooking is really an important thing to making a house a home. And it's good for you to incorporate your favorite, like, again, dip into your cultural heritage. What are some of the um, dishes that you want to pass on to your children? Learn how to make them. You don't have to make them every week. When my kids were little, I did that once a month cooking. That was kind of a big thing back in the 90s. Um, I didn't do it just once a month, but I would cook a bunch on the weekend when my husband was home so we could have some nice meals. And like I mentioned, he's Lebanese. And um, his grandmother taught me all sorts of Lebanese recipes. She left some to me when she died. And I love cooking them. And my children remember that and they know how to cook them. They know how to roll these little grape leaves and they know how to stuff the bread and, and whatnot. And I think those kinds of things are really important to making a house a home or, you know, teach your kids how to make cookies, let them make mistakes on um, cooking, but, but let them get in and dig in the kitchen. Um, they will remember the memories. They will not remember uh, how pristine the corner was if everything was dusted or if all the pots and pans were always put away. I mean, yes, we should strive toward cleanliness. Cleanliness is an important thing. Order is a good thing. But don't let it inhibit the memory making that you can. Don't be afraid to make a mess. And that goes for crafts too. You know, another thing I, I wanted to say, it's slightly related, but when we were first married, like I'm not a seamstress. I am learning now, but I, I was not a seamstress when we first got married. And but I still, I made the curtains in our house because I wanted pretty curtains. I could afford the material on clearance. And so I sat there, I didn't even have a machine. I just like hand sewed them. It took forever. So oh, like, hand -sewed. I hand sewed them. <laughs> I didn't have a machine. I didn't know how to do it. There was no YouTube. I couldn't even figure it out that way. But um, I went and I got a magazine that like told you how to do it. And you know what? I look back and the stitches were like, horrendous <laughs> if you put them just this way you could tell that you couldn't tell when you were looking at them but I was so proud of that we lived in a little 900 square foot house when we were first married and I just David um we painted we papered ourselves because wallpaper was a big thing back then and um we, it was every little inch I tried to just make beautiful my own little style we all have different styles yeah, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say hello to a couple of the ladies in in uh, in the chat here. Uh, Lucy says I'm Portuguese and my husband is Italian, so food is so much part of our culture and our connection. Um, Susie says 
I've done the onion trick for 14 years. It's a surprise. <laughs> um, uh, I love having uh, Rema Chelio, who's actually one of our mother's group leaders from St. Benedict's. Hey, Rema, great to have you here. Um, she says she loves having um, kids in the kitchen. Rema, why don't you uh, just uh, in, the, in the comments here, include the link to your Instagram because you always have such incredible meals that you prepare. I keep on asking Rema if I can go to her place to do curbside pickup because <laughs> the meals she cooks are amazing. Um, Kara says, I have to run. My son is waking up. I, Kara, I hope you come back after with your son. Uh, Vesna says, hello. Um, so if, and Claude says, it's true, every family has a story to tell. And um, if, if you have any comments on what you've done to create your house into a home, please jot them in the, um, in the comments here so I can include them. Um, Jacqueline says, I just wanted to thank you, Dorothy, for these wonderful meetings. Yay! <laughs> thank you. I need encouragement. <laughs> Some days I wonder, am I doing anything for anyone? <laughs> you know? um, so thank you. Um, so yeah, so Rema Johnson put down her Instagram, she, her and her husband, I tell you, they should own a restaurant. Um, I, I'm just gonna take a little pause to let you all know that uh, Teresa has written along with uh, Patty Armstrong, a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many places I've underlined it over and over again. Um, we're, we've just put in the link there that it's published by Scepter Publishers. I would encourage each and every single one of you to get it because if you're loving Teresa, you're going to love her more after you read the book. And please, again, uh, follow her on Facebook. And um, yeah, we've put in all the links. So let's uh, head back to you, Teresa. Uh, so so creating a, a family meal, creating an environment that uh, is welcoming, um, creating an oasis for, especially when our husbands come home. I have like so many strong memories. Like my husband traveled extensively. And when he was away for a couple of days, you know, the kids, you know, we all that them dashing to the door, uh, you know, daddy's home. So making that time when dad comes home, um, really, really uh, uh, special. Uh, the, the pictures on the wall, you know, digging out some stories that we can share. You know, my mom was a survivor. She was 13 years old when, um, when the Second World War broke out and, and she was pulled out of the rubble by Marian priests as a 13 year old. And so whenever I'm about to get depressed, like I'm thinking, <laughs> Sorry, girl. <laughs> um, you know, and she only started to tell us some of those stories as she was approaching her final years. I'm like, I wish you would have told me some of these stories sooner. Um, any other thoughts on what create what creates a, a transforms a house into a home? Any other thoughts? Well, I have a couple, but um, first I wanted to say because when you invited everyone to put their thoughts in there, I think that that is so good. That is one of the best things. Is just getting together with other moms and sharing those ideas because yeah. none of us have all the great ideas. Um, 
one mom might have tried this and said, oh, I did this and I, you know, this. And then we go to someone's house and you see, oh, I really love how that. And we all have different gifts and talents. So some people are crafty, you know, and they're going to want to do things like make their own floral arrangements. Oh, that's another thing. I love fresh flowers. And um, we have a lot here on our property that sometimes I just pluck up. But I, I, just, I just think those kinds of small touches, but not everyone you know, likes to decorate or whatever. And you can find your own way. So we can, we can share these ideas. Yeah. Um, one mom here, Sarah Gomez says, uh, we have a prayer corner with religious items and books. Our kids show, our kids know that this area is where we can gather to pray independently or together. Like when I was growing up, we didn't have a prayer corner. And yeah. you know, I always say having a statue of our blessed mother in the house always scared off the bad friends. Because <laughs> they come and they are. Forget them. Forget those parts. Well, that's a really great point. And I, you know, this is a good segue into the next thing. So you mentioned my Facebook. Um, I also run a Facebook group and it's called the Blessed, Blessed Mother Mary group. And we have over 10,000 members. Wow. And it's a, yeah. 10,800. 10, In fact, I'm kind of running a little bit of a, um, a drawing. When we hit 11,000, I'm going to give away two Fatima books by Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle, who I think was one of your guests earlier. Yes. Uh -huh. um, so we, we have a children's book and an adult book that we're going to give away when we hit um, 11,000 members. But um, I would invite anyone listening. It's it's private only because you can find it, but you have to apply to join. And that's only so I can screen out um, some people, crazy people that they're going to try to cause trouble. But you'll be admitted. We pray the rosary daily, three times live. Um, I lead wow. the... Yep, I lead the 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard or Eastern Time, U.S. Time uh, Rosary. We live stream a 3 p.m. Rosary with the priests at a local parish. Oh, wow. Or at seminarian or priest, whoever they have doing it. And then my brother, um, he leads a 9 p.m. Rosary. And it, the fun thing about that is that he has this little outbuilding outside of his house. He calls it St. Peter's Pub. And uh, his whole family gathers in there and whoever's around in the neighborhood at the time they pray the rosary together. So that's a really popular choice because people like to end their day with family prayer. Um, so I did want to mention that. So you're all invited. Oh, to, yeah. it's, it's so important that I forget who you, you said, said they have the prayer corner, but that's so important. That's a great idea. Um, I would, I didn't grow up with the prayer corner either, but that's, that's well, I, I want to sort of segue into something that, uh, that, another question here so what is a homemaker really like what really is a homemaker a homemaker is the best career in the world it is taking the needs of your family and giving yourself being a servant leader just like christ was it is putting the needs of your husband and your children above your own and the rewards are far exceed anything else you could do. So in other words, um, it's kind of funny, but you know, when you do these certain things, we talked a little bit about when your husband comes home, you know, how to make him feel important and um, loved. And oh, one of the things the other kids said, one of my other kids said to me when I asked him about a memory of childhood was, I remember right before dad came home, you would always like go freshen up and tell us it has to be quiet. We have to pick up everything. <laughs> so, and, and my daughter said that 
taught me the value of what he did. I really learned to appreciate dad because you put so much emphasis on that and the fact that he was working so hard to take care of our needs. Um, so, um, so yeah, I would say, I would say that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like uh, I try to remind moms, right. That is that, you know, the most important job that we, we have is, is being a homemaker and doing everything that we can to create a, kind of like a vibrant and robust spirituality um, for our children and for our husbands, um, you know, and that that's the most important thing. And that, that if, you know, we've had all this professional success, but we haven't done that, right. then, you know, like, what's the point? Um, well, Dorothy, can I say something there? Um, so some moms I've talked to, some young moms are like, you know, I'm all on board with praying as a family, but my husband's not there yet or something like that. Yeah, some of them aren't praying. Yeah, some of them aren't. Right, and, and you know, that seems in conflict with, you know, we know that husbands are meant to lead their family, provide and protect, and, and how does that come into play? Well, I would just encourage moms to go ahead and just don't harp on him, don't nag, just start quietly praying the rosary and ask him, you don't want to join me? No? Okay, fine. Then you offer up that suffering for him. Pray with your children. Um, take him to adoration. I know right now it's kind of, I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but um, a lot of the churches have, you know, they're not, they're not doing that. But take him to adoration. Take him to these things. Um, just gently lead the way by your own patience and, um, and, and offer up any suffering associated with that with that for him. And I've seen miracles happen in that regard. And, and miracles do happen. I, I know that, you know, I, I don't talk about this a lot in public and I'm not gonna talk about it too much now either, but I, I married, you know, I met my husband as a, a lector at St. Michael's Cathedral and it was beautiful because, you know, my husband has three master's degrees and so, he is a thinker, and I grew up as a cultural Catholic, um, and he was a convert, right? And so it was all very beautiful, but it came with a set of crosses because I had been brought up with so much just Polish Catholic cultural tradition, and uh, he hadn't, right? He wasn't raised that way. And so although he was there kind of cerebrally, right? Uh, his family thought that and some of his family members still do think that we're nuts because again, I always say that he was kind of pulled out of his family and plucked into a, a, a you know, a powerful experience. And I was completely edified, you know, by this man, but then we got married and had to deal with the reality that it's Christmas day and his family doesn't acknowledge Jesus right now. I have a wonderful Christmas and wonderful gifts and very generous, but it was like, Ooh, right? <laughs> you know, in my own extended family, I was a little bit of hero. People were really happy that I was coming over and their family, well, like there's the weird religious one. Right? And, and so, um, so sometimes, you know, as women, we have to work, twice as hard you know to maintain that spirituality um and not pick up the crosses or the defects of those that are around us but fight like warriors to hold on to what we've been 
uh, given. Um, can, I, can I build on that? Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite saints is St. Margaret of Scotland, who, as oh. you know, civilized an entire culture. And um, when she was married, um, she was going into a culture that was very, um, married a king, going into a culture that was very rough. Um, people were not very clean. They would come into the castle and they would just eat and leave. And so she instituted the blessing cup. She would say, won't you stay for the blessing cup? And so of course, to defer to the queen, the guys stayed around. She had uh, her wardrobe made from cloth that was beautiful, but not too expensive. And so of course, kind of like Jackie Kennedy back in the 60s, um, the women in the town would try to emulate her. And so she sort of elevated and civilized a culture. And then as we know, many, many saints came from that lineage. So, you know, and she didn't do it in a forceful way. She did it in a very kind and sweet way. And I think as women, that's one of the strengths that we have is that we don't, we don't, we're just biologically different than men. And we, our sweetness can win over, you know, we, we all know that saying that honey attracts flies more than vinegar. And I think the same with the religious life too. So, you know, what could a modern mother do? You know, you can leave. I know when my kids were coming home from college, my older boys were now long out of the house, but I would leave certain um, books and pamphlets and things in the bathroom in the magazine rack. I would we'd have certain things out and I just casually bring up in discussion. So it doesn't, I mean, once your kids reach a certain age too, you know, you don't want to nag. Nagging turns everyone off. I don't like to be preached to and nagged. You know, husbands don't, children don't. It says in the Bible, don't nag. Um, and that it doesn't say don't nag except for religious stuff. <laughs> so, so we just, I think we, I think in that way too, we emulate the Blessed Mother in her humility and, and gentleness. And so in a world that is all about, you know, going out and making a goal and reaching your goal and striving, like there's nothing wrong with that. But I think one of the greatest, I think it was St. Francis de Sales who said, um, strength is gentleness and gentleness is strength because it takes more inner strength not to react or to be overpowering than it does to retreat back in, in, in humility. So I, I, have a, I have a confession to make here. Um, a lot of things, but I'm not gentle and sweet. Uh, and, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I got married later in life. And so, you know, I, I'd always planned, okay, the goal is to get married at 24. Well, here it was, it was 34 and I was still single and I was in the corporate environment. And I want to say this to all the women who are, or, you know, all the moms that have joined us today. And so in those 10 years, I did become very aggressive. I did become very driven. I did become very outspoken because I was in a man's world, right? And, uh, you know, and I delivered corporate seminars, you know, across Canada, across the United States. Uh, some of you in the U.S. might be familiar with uh, Fred Pryor seminars. Well, I used to, uh, you know, deliver seminars from Australia to Hawaii to New Zealand to Colorado to New York. And it created a part of my personality that I really struggled with once I became a mom, right? And when I gave birth to my daughter, I was kind of like, 
holy Toledo, like who I am and who I have become is not who my newborn needs right now, right? And like, I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that who I am right now is not what this newborn needs. And, you know, I wasn't getting any great evaluations. I wasn't getting a big paycheck anymore. I wasn't getting any recognition anymore. And it was just, it was, it was a bewildering experience. I'd never baked a cupcake, right? <laughs> like a cupcake. <laughs> and I'll never forget, uh, at one point, I was delivering seminars. I was the national uh, training manager for Tupperware Canada. And I was delivering a seminars in Winnipeg. And my husband was delivering seminars in Washington. And I was having PMS and I was like crying on the phone. You know, I'm in Winnipeg, he's in Washington. I'm like, our life is freaking crazy. This is not a marriage, right? And, and, and so, if you're there, like if you're in that kind of crazy place and, and maybe you realize that you, you, you don't have the sweetness and the kindness and the gentleness and the tenderness, you know, I, I beg you to turn to our Blessed Mother. And uh, one thing that was kind of real cool when I met Teresa is I was posting pictures and she was posting pictures and, and she's like, I have that statue of our Blessed Mother. So if you notice behind me, uh, the statue of our Blessed Mother, and uh, Teresa has that same statue of our Blessed Mother. I have a strong conviction that our Blessed Mother is working right now in the middle of this pandemic um, with moms that are having to stay at home and face these issues in their four walls. I have a strong conviction that our Blessed Mother wants to reclaim the gentle, the kind, the merciful, the feminine heart. Um, I wasn't planning to say all that, but it just came up. <laughs> um, Teresa, what do you, th do, how do you think COVID might actually be an opportunity for our Blessed Mother to do some extra work? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that this has done for all of us is um, made us look into our own hearts and homes and ask ourselves what is important and to kind of cut off, trim the fat and get down to the basic of, you know, what does my family need? What do we need? What can we do without? Um, you know, my husband likes to say uh, we need to pivot. So that's his, the image that he always says is like, well, we can move forward this way, but we might have to pivot. Mm -hmm. And and so these are really important questions. I really think that this entire, I, I mean, I my heart goes out to anyone who has had it. In fact, my oldest son out in California had COVID. I've got a brother uh, in another town that his whole family's got it. It's a hard, hard virus. But the blessing in that, and I know people, you know, some people have died from it. It's terrible. But there there is a grace in it as well that... Um, that I think God is asking us, what is important? What, what can we cut? How can we become better? And that's a very personal thing. And I can't say what it is for your family. Um, but 
it causes us to look inward. And I also want to say, you know, um, this, there were saints with many personalities. It's not a negative thing to be super outgoing or to be driven. Um, some people need to work hard to be able to, to speak their mind. Some people are um, too quiet and they don't, they don't give their opinion or speak when they should. And so I don't think you should be so hard on yourself saying that you're, um, you're too much that way. Um, but, I, but I think we're all, you know, we're all given the opportunity to say how, here, Jesus gives us his mother. How can I become more like her? Now we have Joan of Arcs and we have St. Teresa of Lisieux, you know, two totally different personalities. Uh, St. Margaret, Saint, I mean, there's many saints. We can become a saint wherever we are with whatever personality we have. But I do think that what COVID has done is had us turn our hearts back toward home mm -hmm. and say, how can I be better and better serve my family? At least that's what I get from it. Yeah, and the, the one thing, and this would probably be another like topic, um, but I, I feel called to ask you, so I will, is that, you know, when a mother isn't in the home for let's say 10, 12, 20, whatever hours a day, there's something huge that is missing, right? And I keep on saying that, that this, your, your spirit of mothering, um, it affects your boys, it affects your girls, it affects your husband, it affects the home. And like, I constantly feel like almost like as if Satan has been trying to take the spirit of mothering out of our culture, you know? Um, and, and how, if you could speak to for a few minutes about the importance of mothering our boys and the, and the type of woman we are and how it might affect the wife they choose. It's mm -hmm. a good question. Well, first of all, I wanna say that um, I think the reason that the family is being so attacked today is that Satan recognizes the importance, even if people in the world don't recognize the importance of a home and having a mother in the home, he recognizes it. And so he's going to, he's going to plant little seeds because we're all weak. We all have weaknesses, different weaknesses. Um, some people struggle, you know, with gluttony. Some people struggle with, struggle with lust. Some people struggle with wanting power. I mean, we're all different, just like we have different gifts. We have different weaknesses. So he knows this and he's going to pick at us and he wants us to, um, to be divided and stressed. God, our God is a God of peace. And so where there's chaos, that's not of God. So I think one of the things is that mothers have to realize um, they put too much, don't, they can't let society put on them that they don't have value in the home, that they have to prove it somewhere else. By the way, kids are home for such a short period of time. You can still have that career just like sequentially. You can do it before you can do it after you can do a little bit in between you know when they go to bed at night you can write books like we have right well, <laughs> i write articles i do that i did most of that i do when the kids are occupied doing something else and i did it while homeschooling so it can be done it's not, i'm not saying you have to totally go on this non-creative thing for you know 18 years but um i do think we think of a uh, all of our children um a boy is a, an infant child it yes about boys He's born of a woman and looks first into her eyes for approval and whatnot. And then eventually most marry, some become priests, some stay single. But 
Um, so they're always looking for that kind of approval and softness. And what we and we need to be reflections of the Blessed Mother to him because like, and we do for our women too, but you asked about, about men. And I think they come to know Our Lady through us. Mm-hmm. And, and Our Lady isn't looking for um, accolades for herself, but she always points to her son. And so we can be a channel of faith for our sons and our daughters, our daughters, you know, it's a different, it's a different dynamic just because we're different biologically, but the, the man is biologically wired to provide and protect. More little boys are antsy um, when they're little. I mean, this is all part of what makes us different. So I think it's particularly important when he sees that you have given your whole self and then he goes to have, I don't have grandchildren yet, but I do have once I'm married. Um, when he goes to uh, have his own child, he's going to say, you know what? That made a difference to me. That's important to me. Mm-hmm. So that's my view. Yeah. And because like I, I, I kind of like see it very often and I know it was like tempting, you know, to me too. Like when my, my son was, you know, the teenage and he's like, okay, you know, dad's taking him to hockey. Dad's taking him to baseball. Dad's taking him. And it like, sometimes it's a real temptation. I think, okay, well, you're a boy. I'll leave you to your dad. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, our kind of, I don't know whether it was our blessed mother or the Holy spirit or like, I don't know who it was, but some kind of supernatural force. And I think part of it was just because my husband traveled so much is made me recognize that 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 my mothering of my son was extremely important and so you know you know to tell him that he's you know handsome to tell him that you know you know that his future wife is going to be so lucky um that i think that many i think that many boys are picking the wrong wives because they're needy of the mothering they never kind of got, if that makes any sense. And they may actually have a mother, right? But but she might might have not, you know, uh, affirmed. And the same thing with daughters. It's so important that we affirm our our daughters. But I read Dobson's book, uh, Bringing Up Boys, uh, and it was it was just like so good and you know anyway I could I could, I know that you and I could go on and on and on and on um, I can't believe it's two fifty eight oh my gosh yeah. so, <laughs> um, so I, I I have another question here and it wasn't supposed to be a part of the topic and we could probably have another I'd love to have you on again if you're if you're open to it um, but what makes a good wife a good wife. So um, that's a great question. I actually, I have, I'll have to give you the link so we can get it out to people or whatever, but I actually found something on the internet that I printed out and taped inside my closet door to help me remember a few things. And if I could just share a few things, I think um, reaffirming, um, appreciating, um, appreciating what your husband does for you, recognizing that he's different, um, let me give you a couple of things. It says, ways, oh, men, okay, men love being respected and admired. We all know that, right? Provision, protection, they like that. Uh, it depends on the man, of course, obviously. There's going to be like a bell curve. Some guys 
are more talky, some guys are less talky or whatever. But generally speaking, we women like to chit chat a lot, right? Compared to the men. We like to hear, I love you. We like those kinds of things. Um, men really like being respected and admired. Um, so another, let, me, let me just read this for a second. Men and women have many of the same needs, but they tended to be weighted differently. In relationships, we all want to feel loved and respected. However, the way that is accomplished is somewhat gender specific. So some of the suggestions that they give is um, like, don't, don't criticize, don't be naggy. You can give your opinion on something, but at the same time, don't make every interaction that you have with him um, be negative. So in other words, if you leave the kids with him, so you go out shopping with your girlfriends or you um, have an appointment or whatnot, and then you come back and he's playing with the kids on the floor, recognize that he's playing with the kids on the floor. The house might be a wreck, but he is spending time with them. So I guess one of the key things, and like you said, this could be an ent entire, I've got, actually this checklist has 60 things. Wow. You know, respect him, like don't throw away his papers without his permission. Ask him when you're cleaning out the garage, if you could, if you mind this or that. It's just, a lot of these things are um, mutual respect, um, uh, doing small things, you know, I love you, just touch his face when you, as you're passing by, make his food, um, appre appreciate the fact that he's different from you. My husband and I are completely different in personality and demeanor. We have the same values, goals, and beliefs, political beliefs, as well as religious beliefs. But we're our personality, he's an extrovert who loves to be with people. He could talk all day. I'm an introvert. I, pr I process things. I get exhausted by too many people at one time. Um, I'm kind of nerdy, intellectual. He likes to wing it, and he's out there handshaking. So um, maybe we could do a, a topic on that another time, because I feel like I just couldn't do that topic. Yeah, just, and, and, just, and, and I think I, I will. I'll definitely, yeah. uh, we can schedule a date on that. Because again, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's almost a little past three now, but I, I know I haven't been the best wife. Right? None of us have. This is no, but I know, like, like the it it hit home, and I think I don't know whether it's a Polish trait. I don't know what it you know. I don't know what it is, but you know, I grew up with a mother that was quite critical. Um, you know, but in the end, it served me well because she would say, like, "Don't leave the house without looking in the mirror." <laughs> you know, it's an act of charity to put on some lipstick and brush your hair. Like she wouldn't want me to leave the house without my toenails painted, right? Um, and then, you know, like she was OCD about thanking people. And yeah, she, those aren't bad things though. No, but she would criticize me if I didn't, right? Mm -hmm. And, but you know, the one thing that he, I, I'm always torn because I always think like a lot of people need a life coach because they weren't coached by their parents how to behave right. in a lot of circumstances. Um, you know, you know, my mom was remarkable in many ways in that she would say like, I don't get this honey, honey. You know, she goes, I don't get honey, honey. If the guy <laughs> is being lazy, you tell him. Right, <laughs> and you know, I remember my dad. About, this is you know one of those stories, but my dad once saying something really stupid, and uh, my mom taking a slipper 
and throwing at them, and she ended up breaking a window, and we all couldn't stop laughing, right? Um, and, you know, it, if I talked to my mom about unconditional love, she would just laugh. She'd say, you live here, you go to church. That's a condition, okay? <laughs> Fine-tuning, and, like, there is... It's not all or none. It's like, you, just because I say don't nag, that doesn't mean you can't point out something that needs to be done in a kind way, you know? I, I would like to, along the lines of the slipper, I have to tell you this. David and I were first married. I was, um, we were married when I was 23, but I think I was about 25 at the time because I had my second son. I was changing his diaper and we were arguing. This is the stupidest thing in the world about who missed their family more. I know this. <laughs> so, and I was just like, you think your family's so great. We're just sitting there bickering like two kids because we were kids, right? And um, <laughs> and I had the talcum powder here and, and I was just going on and I was changing my son's diaper and he kept going. And and I and and finally he took the talcum powder and he squirted it at me. Pull <laughs> <laughs> this talcum powder and I go, Oh, that was real mature. But you know what? We both started laughing and then it was like a reset button. And then we were like, you know what? Why were we even arguing about that? And my, my baby that I was changing, he was laughing so hard. And we were like, we were just being so stupid. So. Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, really what I encourage all moms here is that uh, I like to use the analogy of an umbrella that, you know, that we struggle with our humanity, we struggle with our temperament, we struggle with our own personal defects. But I always talk about this umbrella, that if I have, you know, the sacrament of reconciliation, if I have, for me personally, I know it's not possible for everyone, and but like if I have my daily mass, and then if I have my daily rosary, and I have, you know, my my mom always, I remember once seeing a priest, and I was like, I don't know what to do with my life, and he goes, are you fulfilling your duties? I was like, duties? <laughs> have I met my, you know, sort of duties? And so I walk around with this umbrella, and I say, hopefully when I meet our Lord, I'll say, I know I messed up, but I was under the umbrella of the sacraments. I was under the umbrella of, you know, it's kind of like, I'm, I know I messed up in many ways. Um, and, and so I wanted to thank you, Teresa, for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for moms today on what we've been chatting about? Um, I just want to uh, offer that, I hope that all the moms watching, yes, we should be striving for all these wonderful things, just to know that you have the sacraments behind you and give yourself mercy. Sometimes you're too hard on yourself. This was such a, this is such a difficult time to be living and a confusing time in the church and in the culture and just, you know, oh, lean to your funny. husband. So, yeah. oh my gosh, somebody's, uh, in a, you know what, I hope you've got two more minutes. Someone's saying, I do. We didn't talk about homeschooling at all. Oh, oh, I can't. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm glad whoever brought it up. Uh, someone's, yeah, Sarah Gomes is asking, are we talking about homeschooling or another day? Uh, let, let's talk a little, yeah, let's talk a bit about homeschooling if you've got the time. Yeah, I do. Um, first, I'd like to, um, I printed this off, but um, one of the places that I write is Integrated Catholic Life on the web. 
and the link there will take you to all the articles I've written. There's a lot of different topics. CatholicExchange.com, I've got a whole list of articles, and Today's Catholic. Those are the three places online where most of my work is. I also write here and there. But um, I want to point out the one article uh, from Integrated Catholic Life that says, many Catholics choose homeschooling and should you. So um, as I alluded to at the beginning, I believe that any mother that wants to homeschool is capable. I don't care if you haven't graduated from high school yourself. There are ways to get through it. You learn with your children. You definitely can do it if you want to. That being said, I don't believe every family should because this is a very personal decision between you, your spouse, and God. And God calls each of us to different missions in our life, and we have different charisms as families. So don't feel that just because you think, I don't think it's for me, don't, I don't want anybody to think that, that they feel like they're inadequate or you know, one group feeling it's, it's better. It's, you gotta find out what's working for you. But um, this one article, it will, go, it will take you through how they homeschool. Um, homeschooling is as different as the families are. Some families have rigid ways to homeschool. They like order and formality. Um, there are a lot of good Catholic curriculum publishers that will walk you through it from start to finish. They'll even grade your kids' work. Um, um, grade the work. Yep, you, oh, can, wow. you, can, you can get that service. Um, Seton is one. Our Mother of Divine Grace is another one. Colby Academy is another one. Um, There's so many, so I just encourage you to look at that article because it will footnote everything. Um, some families prefer to have a more eclectic approach and they find that they like to pick out the curriculum because like, let's say one of your children um, just excels in say math, okay? But English and language arts, they're more on grade, right? With homeschooling, you can just take that kid through whatever level in math and kind of give them the extra help that they need in the English or vice versa. So when you say, how do, how do Catholics homeschool? Well, it's as varied as the amount of Catholics there are. Um, should you homeschool? I'll just give a couple of points here. And again, if you, you know, look at the article, you can have it in front of you. Um, the questions that you should ask yourself if you're trying to discern whether to homeschool include, am I willing to spend a significant time in planning, implementing, and evaluating curriculum for my child? Can I put other activities aside for this? So this is an important endeavor. It's not something that you pick up on the side and you think, well, I'll just do it. Yeah. So you, you need to take that if you're willing to take it seriously. Two, do I have access to the resources I need? Can I provide a well-rounded curriculum for my child? So there are a lot of great curriculum providers, but you have to do the work to find out what matches with your child and your family. Three, do I have a basic understanding of my Catholic faith or at least a willingness to learn it? So again, you don't have to know everything to homeschool, but you do have to be willing to learn right there with your child. And frankly, that's one of the most rewarding parts of the experience. Four, do I have the support of my spouse? So some husbands take an active role in homeschooling. They'll teach subjects. Some husbands just say, um, you do it, sweetheart. I'm off working. I'll do the athletic stuff. And then some of them are against it. So you really need to be together on the same page. Um, you really need to come to a consensus because it's not going to work even with the best resources unless you both agree. Five, do I understand and know the laws of my state pertaining to homeschooling or 
province, I guess, right? Is that what you guys have? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, provinces, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association has a summary of homeschool laws for every state. If, if Americans, the American uh, listeners go to that, I'm sure you would probably have some sort of clearinghouse in Canada as well. We do. Um, yeah. So some of our states are very restrictive and you have to jump through a lot of hoops. My state of Indiana is very non-restrictive. You have to have 180 days of schooling and provide curriculum that's similar to what's going on in the public schools. Uh, you have to ask yourself, will I have the support of my pastor? Does my diocese offer resources or guidelines? So you really need to kind of be on board with the pastor. Um, sometimes they will offer you know, the use of the church for devotion. Sometimes they will offer to come in and you know, help out with your kids in teaching religion. Um, you're definitely going to have to go to your pastor when it comes to the sacrament. So you really need to know if your parish is homeschool friendly. Um, and then um, the last question is, do I realize this is not just an option for education, but a lifestyle choice? So one of the beauties of homeschooling is that you're not just sitting down eight to three with your desk in your uniform doing the subjects. Mm -hmm. um, although some people do have designated areas, I happen to have a homeschool room, but, but really the beauty of it is being able to go out into the world and go through the fire station, go through the television station, go through the chocolate factory, go to the park and, you know, collect specimens of leaves and come home. And so it's, it's really a lifestyle choice. So if you ask yourself those questions, even if the answer is no, and you still have a, um, a strong desire to homeschool, you can work through it. But you need to ask yourself those questions. And again, it's, it's, it's in there. It has been a wonderful way for our family to bond. Um, we, we did it primarily for uh, teaching the Catholic faith, um, streamlining resources. But one of the things I can tell you now that my kids are older and they all go to mass um, is that their bond together is so strong. They're all across the country and they have their, they're constantly talking to each other and they're having group chats and they go take a vacation here or there to visit the, the other. So that is one of the fruits I never thought of at the time, but has definitely been something we've experienced. Does that help? Now, would, uh, would you be kind enough, Teresa, to send me the link to that specific article? Like we did yes. sort of generally- I thought we did that yesterday, but maybe I didn't, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, like we did in the chat box put the general link to Integrated Catholic with all of okay. your articles. Yep. Um, and we did- If someone wants to Google it in the meantime, it's many Catholics choose homeschooling, should you? Okay, so many Catholic many Catholics choose homeschooling. So should you? So um, thank you, and thank you for the person who <laughs> who brought that up because I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have hung up. And uh, oh, oh, Patricia, she's our mother's group leader at uh, St. Anne's. Patricia, I wanted to give you a shout out because she had started her mom's group. She had her first mother's group meeting. And then COVID broke out. Oh. <laughs> but she has um, moved her mother's group to, uh, she pivoted, and she's been hosting um, online mother's groups. So uh, I just wanted to just, I just wanted to, I really admire Patricia, your perseverance. And uh, Sheila, thank you for joining us. Um, now, uh, Can I have a question? 
Yes, please. Can we ask if anyone, since we spent so little time on the homeschooling, could we ask and see if there's anything specifically maybe that somebody wanted to ask? Sure. Um, okay, I've got six new questions pop up here. Let me see what they are. Um, where are the questions? Oh, thank you, Teresa. Thank you so much. Would we be able to get all the links in an email sent out to us? Um, possibly, possibly. <laughs> um, if you friend me on Facebook, I can give them. I can yeah. give them. Okay, yeah. So we did post uh, Teresa's Facebook account here in the comments. So, um, and, and we'll do our best. We will do our best to get those uh, out to you. Now, one thing, it's, it's 3.15, so if anyone has to leave, I understand. I don't expect you to, to stay on if you can't. But quite a few moms have been emailing. Um, <laughs> have been, have, I love hearing from you, so please continue sending the emails. But many mothers have been asking, well, can we have a nighttime group? Because you know a lot of them work and they can't join us. The reason that we have it at two is because we're kind of hoping that if you have children and they're napping at two, that you can kind of jump on for the hour of the nap. That's how this started actually, <laughs> was planned around a, a, a mother's napping. But um, let me just see if there's, uh, how are you able to teach your school-aged children while keeping your younger preschool children or younger children occupied, someone's asking. And then someone asking, um, Michelle, hi, Michelle. She used to be the mother's group leader at St. Peter and Paul. Um, she's asking, which curriculum do you use? So how do you teach while you got the younger ones? And then what curriculum did you use? Okay, Can, I'll do it in the reverse order if you don't mind. Is that all right? Sure. So um, one of the benefits that I saw with homeschooling was the fact that I didn't have to stick with one particular curriculum. I knew Seton was excellent, and so I immediately went there as my default mode unless I saw something I liked better. And so for each child, I just sort of crafted um, an individualized curriculum for them. One resource that I kept going back to was a program called Natural Speller. It's one book for grades um, one through 12 in spelling and it, it's thick and I just used it. It was, I tried like four spelling programs before I settled on that one and I loved it. What was um, it called again? Natural Speller. Natural Speller, okay. And then Easy Grammar was the grammar program. I, my background is English, so um, is English writing. And so I, grammar is something that a lot of people get confused about unless they're, unless they like it or unless um, they have an aptitude for it particularly. What I like about easy grammar is that it starts out by memory, memorizing the prepositions, all of them. And you do it in chant form and you don't do it all at once. You just do it like in little, oh, snippets of 10 or 12, right? And then the kids and you just walk around the house and you chant it or whatever. Once you do that, you start, um, it's not really diagramming, but you start identifying like the prepositional phrase, the object of the preposition. Then you go into the subject. Then you go into the verb. Then you go into all the different forms of the verb and the adjectives and the kinds of adjectives. But it's so incremental that my children really took to it. And I found over the years, it was so fun to teach. Now, when the kids went into high school, we, they go to a Catholic high school, um, they were 
the Catholic high school is a great school, but they were so far ahead in like the English and grammar and that kind of thing. And the teachers would be like, where did you learn this? You know, like, cause now, I mean, I, one of my kids walking through, I could say, name the prepositions. They could just go about, above, across, after, against, along, you know, and just go through the whole list. Um, so those two, I used, um, I used variety of different math programs based on the kid. I had one child who was young and had a, uh, fine motor skill problem where his hands shook until he was like it was just like seven or whatever but intellectually he was there but he couldn't do like the writing so I did a lot of like flashcards and there was something called math it where we would flip him you know flip over and do um incidentally he turned out to be a musician and plays the piano and now and it's wonderful but uh you know God has all these surprises for you um I have a son who didn't, this is just incidental. I have a son who I could not get to sit down and read because he was so athletic and he was, and by the way, now as an adult, he runs marathons and triathlons and all that, but he, I couldn't get him to sit down and read. He is also the son, finally at like 10, I finally, you know, found something and he uh, reads so much that we are always, every week he gives me a new book recommendation and we're going back and forth. So. Don't get discouraged, moms, if at first you feel like you're having struggles with your kids because you, you don't know the ending. But um, um, I love the Seton Readers. I love the Colby, when your kids get a little bit older, the Colby reading list. They give you the actual books. They're not made up stories. They're, they would be, you know, like Huck Finn and, you know, you know all the classic stories, uh, any kind of interest that you could have. Um, Captain's Courageous excellent book by Rudyard Kipling, a coming of age story for kids. Every kid should read it. Um, but anyway, those are just some ideas. I would say start with something a little bit more structured and then you can veer off from it. Look at the different, the major programs and say, you know, what fits with my family? What do I like? What is appealing to me? And then next year you can adjust it. Mm -hmm. So that that's the curriculum. Okay, how did I do it with kids, little kids? There's always little kids. First, you have to have um, a realistic expectation. Kids will be kids. You are not like super. We don't just pour things into our kids' <laughs> minds, right? So the older kids, um, I would always start with the older kids and have them do their hardest subject first. In our family, it's math. <laughs> so I would always start with the oldest one. Try to get them working as independently as possible. We took as many breaks as we needed to, but with those little kids, there were certain toys that I only let them have when the older kids were schooling. So it was like, um, it was super interesting for them. So we would have like, you know, maybe Play-Doh or these little animal set things, or I mean, I don't even know what toys for little kids are anymore because um, my youngest is 15, but you know, we would have like certain building things that are coloring books or, or um, man manipulatives that you could build or puzzles that they could only use um, at that time. At that time. And so they looked forward to it. And you know what? If we got interrupted, we got interrupted. And let me tell you this. One of the most important things, and this is just personal, the most important thing you can do if you do nothing else is sit with those babies and read to them. Don't ask me about a reading program. I don't believe in reading programs. I believe you should expose them to phonics. We used MCP phonics, but just sitting on the sofa and just the, the warmth, the feeling, and just read to them. And as you read, just 
run your finger under the word. You don't have to quiz them. You don't have to, you know, do a reading program. I mean, you can if you want. That's your choice. It's people's style. But I had a daughter that was, and, and they're all different. The one son wasn't reading well till he was almost 10. My other daughter taught herself to read. She was three. She was reading the chapter books. They're all different. They're not, it's not better or worse. We just have different gifts and talents. But if you just sit there and read to them, and I was telling one of my kids the other day, that's what I miss the most is having those babies on my lap. And I love, I have so many beautiful memories of, uh, of, of reading to my children. I, I've got like all those books in a basket when I read to them when they were little. Yep. And uh, I, I just tear up when I, when I think of that time, you know, because like my son would be like standing on the bed, dancing to a particular thing. My daughter, would, <laughs> it was just so, so, so beautiful. Um, anyway, it is 324. Um, we've gone on quite a bit longer, but I've enjoyed every single minute of it. Um, I, I, I just, I wanted to acknowledge all the moms that are writing us. I know some of you are asking if we can uh, pray the rosary. Some of you are asking if we can have a night group. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of different requests. Um, I would ask if, if you could to share information about our next session that's coming up, because I always kind of figure, we're doing this and I want as many people as I can meeting Teresa. I want as many people as I can. So please do promote our existing, the existing two o'clock meeting. Um, I would like to have an evening meeting. I have offered to pray um, the rosary on Facebook Live or Instagram Live. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, Teresa's already doing that. So maybe some of you that would like the rosary can hop onto Teresa's page. Um, but please, I, I do ask that you keep on sending us emails because uh, like sometimes I know it's kind of hard to, not that it's hard to, to believe, but sometimes I do get a bit overwhelmed and I get discouraged because I wonder, is this doing anything for anyone? And then I get an email from somebody and it's exactly what I'm, I'm needing to get. So please do send us emails. Tell us what you need. Tell us what topics you'd like us to cover. Um, Tell us, you know, communicate with us because it means so much. Patricia is saying, uh, we pray the rosary every Tuesday at 8 p.m. And uh, Patricia, is that your mother's group at St. Anne's? Uh, I can't, I guess you can't respond because maybe, Patricia, what we could do is we could promote that Tuesday evening rosary to the rest of the, and then if I can join, I will, but if not, then you can run with it. Uh, Patricia, I wanted to mention that one of the moms from your mother's group started to uh, read Motherhood Matters, and she's reached out to me uh, directly, and I told her to talk to you. So anyway, I'm going on and on and on. It's almost 3.30. Um, thank you, each and every one of you that joined us today. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Teresa. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's, it's been wonderful. And I'm just going to say a little short closing prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, dear Lord, we know that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, that you are present. 
We acknowledge your presence. We thank you for all of the graces that you've uh, dispensed to us today. Uh, we thank you for Teresa. We lift her and her family up in prayer and in thanksgiving. We thank you for all of the moms that uh, signed up today and we beg for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they don't lose the graces that were dispensed today. And so we close this meeting with one Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, love you, everybody. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can have you on again for the husband talk. <laughs> 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 so thank you and I'll be ending the meeting now uh, thank you Rema uh, thanks to all of you for, for being here we love you and please know that we're praying for you whenever I go to Eucharistic Adoration I always imagine all the mothers group leaders with me and I pray for all of you when I'm there um, so thank you and uh, as Carol Burnett would say I'm so glad we had this time together. <laughs> okay, bye everybody. Bye-bye.